the best product. I've been involved in the Patagonia field testing program for a little over 20 years right now. For silent sports done in nature. That's the feeling. That's the feeling that I fell in love with with climbing. Cause no unnecessary harm. Organic cotton and recycle polyester to recycling the clothing to measuring our carbon footprint. Inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. To give some love back to this river that doesn't have any. It's not getting any love. See what drives us at Patagonia.com. With additional support from Kuat Racks and New Belgium Brewing. My story starts before smartphones made maps obsolete before text messaging made phone calls obsolete. Back then, coverage was spotty, and cell phones, if you were an early adopter, they had these sweet, retractable antennas. So sick. I was 23 years old, two weeks fresh out of college. I just lost my apprenticeship out of paper, so I quit paying rent and moved into my friend's Westphalia van. We crushed as many rock climbs as possible from the hours of 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. It was spring in the desert. Life was pretty good. Then... Through the magic of cell phones, I received a voice message. It was Utah Bride Magazine. They had my resume. They were looking for a writer and an editor and wanted to set up a phone interview. I stood there, shirtless, rope grit streaking my face like I had just emerged from beneath a rock. Surely, they must be mistaken. I pressed 1-1 to rewind the message. They were, in fact, calling for me. This was bizarre for many reasons, most of which was that until this moment, I had never even considered that something like a regional bridal magazine could exist in this great land. Talking through the air via cellular waves? Totally plausible. Utah bride calling? Mind-blowing. I had many questions. First, how did they get my resume? No idea. Was it better to take a job writing about something you knew and cared nothing about just so that you could write? Maybe. Could I still climb every day? Probably not. Would my friends laugh at me? Definitely. Would it be a good way to meet women? Yes, but they would probably be married. All jokes aside, I needed a job at some point. This was a job. I'd been rejected by enough papers and magazines so far to know to not to take something like this for granted. So I called them back and scheduled an interview for the next day. I did the interview from the Red Rock Canyon Overlook. What commenced surely had to be one of the most awkward job interviews in the history of man. What do you know about fashion? Uh, you wear shorts when it's hot and pants when it's cold? I finished up. I got into the passenger seat of the 1983 Westie and went climbing. A few days later, they called back asking for a second interview. I was somewhere else without cell coverage, I'm sure. But in my heart, I knew Yosemite was calling, that this was an opportunity in its own right, and that chances are, I didn't really want Utah Bride, and Utah Bride probably didn't really want me. It could have been a stepping stone, but it didn't feel like the right one. So I said no, even though my bank account was salivating at the opportunity. I left a message from Camp 4's payphone, thanked them for the chance, and decided that I was in the right place at the right time. I let the current take me onward. How do you know when it's time to step out of a current, to recognize an opportunity or an alternative path as you float by it? 
We like to think our lives are laid out along a path. Only in hindsight do we see how the twists and forks and collinear branches have brought us to our exact position. Sometimes these paths compete in strange and wondrous ways. Today, we bring you a story about trying to save the world one patient at a time and boating gnarly Class 5 whitewater. Those two pursuits couldn't possibly be compatible, could they? Fortunately, you're listening to The Diaries, so yeah, why not? Today, we present Stepping Stones, the improbable career path of one of the world's best kayakers. I'm Fitzka Hall, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Jesse Stone has a resume that would make any dirtbag proud. Raft guide, pro whitewater kayaker, and member of the U.S. freestyle kayak team. At the end of that list is a medical doctor and the director of the Soft Power Health Clinic in Uganda. She is a career shapeshifter. It started with her following her passion and taking opportunities as they were presented. Raft guiding throughout the U.S., then on to Chile, and then on to Zimbabwe. Originally, I became interested in medicine really for two reasons. I had been working in uh, Zimbabwe as a whitewater rafting guide on the Zambezi, and we were constantly surrounded by people who needed medical attention and couldn't get it. So we saw a lot of sort of horrific problems that I felt helpless to do anything about. And uh, on top of that, I became injured. I actually hurt my shoulder, and I had to have surgery. And so it was through the process of having surgery but I thought, wow, medicine is so cool. You can actually develop some skills and really help people. I had surgery on my shoulder, and then I had this aha moment, like, ah, now I know what I want to do with the rest of my life, and that was become a doctor. Even as she took post-Bach classes and applied to medical school, Whitewater remained a central part of her life, always tantalizing her. Basically, everything kind of culminated this summer before I went to medical school, got accepted into medical school, went to work at Sundance, learned to kayak, and went, I really don't want to be a doctor, I want to be a kayaker. But I was committed to going to medical school. So I went to medical school. And then um, during my summers, I still kayaked every summer. Finally, I did graduate, but instead of going on to a residency like all of my classmates, I went on to a kayaking residency. And um, that led me to meeting Eric Jackson, traveling to really interesting and fun places to kayak and um, figuring out new and interesting ways to support myself <laughs> now that I had uh, finished medical school and wanted to be a kayaker somehow. I was incredibly lucky because the timing that I happened to decide I want to be a full-time kayaker now was also the timing in sort of the kayaking world where things were still really growing and there was a lot more money in kayaking. So you could get paid as an athlete, you know, as well as like doing all these other scroungy jobs. By 2003, Jesse was a doctor and a sponsored kayaker. The legendary Eric Jackson, or EJ, contacted her about an upcoming trip. And so he said, we're going to do a trip to the Zambezi and to the Nile. And he asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, yes, absolutely. I mean, I was really curious to go back to the Zambezi and paddle it in a kayak, because I'd been there so many years before working in a raft, you know. And the Nile, I really didn't know much about. It sounded incredibly exotic. So I, I thought, why not? This could be a great adventure and uh, you know, a really fun opportunity to paddle um, some big water in Africa. <laughs> I 
we went to the Zambezi first, and then um, we came here to the Nile. And when we got here, uh, you know, we'd been warned about how bad the malaria problem was here. People were saying, like, basically, don't even go out at night. Like, be covered up all the time, constantly. You know, take your malaria prophylaxis, sleep under mosquito nets. And so I was really nervous about coming here. I just thought, oh my God, this place sounds dangerous. And, um, and then sure enough, shortly after we got here, um, EJ came down with malaria. And I went, oh my God, I can't believe he has malaria. He's been taking prophylaxis. He's been sleeping under a mosquito net. How did this happen? And if he got it, what about all the local people here? Like what's happening with them? Do they have malaria all the time? So my curiosity was really piqued. With the help of local Jessica Mugarwa, Jesse went from home to home, 50 huts total, asking a variety of questions. Do you know how you get malaria? Do you have a mosquito net? How many children of yours have died from malaria? How much money are you spending every month on treatment? Would you be interested in learning more information about malaria? And finally, would you be interested in purchasing, not you know, being given freely, but purchasing a mosquito net? And it, the answers were really stunning because um, nobody had a mosquito net, not one single person we interviewed. Um, one person out of the 50 homes we went to knew how they got malaria, but no one else did. Uh, everyone reported um, at least one child dying in their households from malaria. And lastly, they all wanted to buy a mosquito net. And, uh, you know, this was, like, this was amazing to me because I, I thought, wow, the people are interested in this. You know, they're asking for it. It's not like me coming in here with this idea and imposing it on them. It was, um, they actually want to know more and they want to purchase mosquito nets. They want to participate in this way in their own care. They're not waiting for a handout. But a $9 mosquito net was expensive, so Jesse worked with Jessica to figure out a price for the nets that the families could afford. $4, then $2.50, then settling on $1.50, a price where everyone could buy a net. But that also meant figuring out a way to subsidize the remaining $7.50. She returned to New York and with her family held a fundraiser at her father's art gallery. Her father donated a few pieces. Artists that Jesse had grown up amongst donated pieces. In the end, they raised $25,000. And in Uganda, $25,000 was enough to build a clinic, furnish it with equipment, and buy mosquito nets. And that was the genesis of Soft Power Health. Eventually we opened the clinic and I realized all of a sudden, although it did happen slowly, but it, the realization kind of hit me one day, I'm responsible for making sure that all of these people who I've employed get paid every month so that they can then take care of their families. And that was kind of a heavy thing. It, it felt like, oh my God, you know, what did I get myself into? I went from having this totally carefree life to having this big responsibility now. And I don't want to let these people down and I don't want to let myself down. 
Soft Power Health has grown beyond Jesse's original vision. It provides preventative health care, family planning education, and immunizations. They've sold 45,000 mosquito nets and educated 100,000 people about malaria, all from a rural clinic staffed primarily by local Ugandans. And the demand continues. So some days I arrive at the clinic and there are 50 people that get seen in a day and there are 30 people waiting outside and we see everything from little teeny tiny babies who have severe malaria to um, people with advanced cancers, people with severe hypertension or diabetes, people with uh, chronic bone infections. I mean, you name it, it, come, it walks in the door. The good thing about the clinic work and the outreach work, it follows no time schedule. So whatever time you happen to show up at the clinic, it's always going to be busy. There's always going to be a demand. There isn't a window that you might miss something. It will always be there. One day I was walking up the stairs here behind my banda, going to breakfast. It was about 7.45 in the morning. And this guy came up. He had a crutch, and he obviously couldn't walk, and he kind of hobbled along, and he... Uh, said, can I talk to you? And, you know, it was like Saturday morning at 7.45, and I didn't really want to talk to him, but I was like, yeah, of course I'll talk to you. You know, I was sort of not awake, wanted to have breakfast. And um, just last week, um, there is a little boy who's 12 years old who has been carrying our kayaks down at Superhole for the last few years. I mean, I've known this kid for years, seen him for years. He's always been very polite. He speaks good English. Um, and he had this terrible infection in his arm. And uh, so I said, okay, I can't just leave this kid here. We're going to bring him up to the clinics. She's become an integral part of the community that depends on her. While Jesse spends part of the year in Uganda, she returns regularly to the States to keep the project afloat with fundraising. It's paid for by foundations and individuals, and every dollar counts. Whenever the community asks me when I'm leaving, I reassure them that I'm coming back. But I never tell them when, because usually I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be. Ultimately, I want people to get used to the fact that I am not going to be there all the time, that the project is going to be sustainable and, you know, run by locals, for locals. That's the whole point of it, you know. I mean, I love being there and I love the work, but I don't need to be there. I'm not integral to the project going forward. Currently, the government is working to construct two dams on the White Nile. The locals worry that if the flowing waters of the Nile become a placid lake, their beloved kayaking doctor will leave. But for now, Jesse's connection to Uganda remains strong. It has created an incredible opportunity for balancing the two things she's deeply passionate about. For me, going to Uganda was, um, it was like a light bulb went on that went, wow, I could live right next to the Nile and I can walk to work every day. So it didn't seem like an extreme decision at all. It seemed like an easy decision. Life got a lot simpler. The question that people always ask me is, how did you know what you wanted to do? You know, did, how did you come up with this master plan? And I always say to them, I had, there was no plan. It was kind of an accident, all of it. And it just unfolded, you know, one step at a time. But at the time that I came to Uganda, 
I was ready to have something else in my life. I didn't want medicine to take over my life. I didn't want kayaking to be the full focus of my life. And the great thing about being here is that you can still do both of those things. You can have this balance between the kayaking and the other work. I mean, it's a real contrast, but I think that's part of what also makes life incredibly interesting is to have those contrasts. We all need that. And it's been incredibly satisfying and interesting and gratifying work and challenging work. Even when the Nile does become a lake out next, you know, next to my banda here, I'm still going to be here doing this work because I really love the work and it really um, has brought so much to my life. And in some way, I think hopefully I can really be able to bring something to the people who are here as well. Can you hear that? Bugs. Real Ugandan ones. Photographer Trevor Clark traveled to Uganda to interview Jesse for a multimedia piece that will be out soon. And he was kind enough to share his recordings with us, which made this story possible. So a huge thanks to Trevor and Jesse for making this story happen. It's getting to be summer. It's getting hot. It's time to shed the layers. It's time to be wearing nothing but flip-flops, shorts, and t-shirts. And we've got some stylish t-shirts for you. Yep, check out our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. On the right-hand side, you can see a link to the t-shirts. Walker has created some cool new designs for the summer season. All the money goes to support him and the artwork behind the diaries. Music today by Goon Trusinski, Joel Subunjo and Sunjata, Chinobe and Soulbeat Africa, and Fawn. You can find all the links and download the cuts on our website. Support for the show comes from the good people at Patagonia. Their Common Threads initiative works to collectively reduce our environmental footprint. Over 35,000 people, 35,000 people have pledged to reduce, repair, reuse, and recycle. Will you take the pledge? Sign it at patagonia.com. Support for the show also comes from Kuat Racks, maker of a better bike rack. With mountain biking season upon us, we've been loving our lightweight alpha rack. Check out the full rack selection at kuatracks.com. Support also comes from New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. Do it now, right now. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Happy summer, everyone. <laughs>